Time for our bi-weekly culture analysis. Let's talk about K-pop girl groups. Now, from a pool of 120,000 aspiring K-pop stars, 20 final contestants have been chosen to compete for a spot in what may just become the biggest girl group in the world. That's a plan put forth by HYBE and Geffen Records. The scale of the project is needless to say impressive, but does it also raise evolutionary, or maybe existential questions like what defines a K-pop girl group today? For further discussions, we're joined by our culture (laughs) expert, Isaac Kim. Good morning, Isaac. Good morning. Happy 20th. Happy 20th. It's a big 2-0 to be 20 again. (laughs) You know, the traditional gift for 20th anniversary is uh, porcelain or, you know, fine china. That's lovely. I'll take it. Oh, I guess from your reaction, I guess they didn't give you mugs. Like I would have imagined maybe (laughs) Arirang mugs, you know, like 20th anniversary mugs would be the the most obvious gift. Is Uh, that your request for a mug? I'll go find you a mug. I bet you we have some. I'd like a new mug, please. A a new new mug. mug. Okay, I'll I'll go searching for it. (laughs) Thank you for joining us, Isaac, to mark also this very special occasion. Now, jumping into the deep end of this pool, it's clearly exciting just given the sheer scope and scale of the project. But first, let's explain for our listeners who's not all caught up. What is Hive's big game plan with this global K-pop girl group? I mean, I think, uh, you know, this project was like, you know, it was rumored a couple years ago. Um, You know, there was auditions. There were the, the, the scale of it, I think, wasn't known then. But the roots of it come from, you know, like a culture in Korea of having these like survival uh, shows like mm. these music competition shows and so these big scale um, productions that go into creating um, a girl group boy group an artist you know and bringing fans together uh, one of uh, the biggest acts uh, one of uh, previously we talked about this um, uh, on, on our show but like twice was a, a girl group that you know broke many records mm. and uh, they came from a TV show as well 16 and it mm. was a, and it was it, it, it was actually you know this kind of audition system is something that has been in um, the infrastructure of a lot of these music labels. But, you know, over the last couple of decades, um, the media and television kind of coming together and showing a behind the scenes look, you know, so uh, brought uh, fans a lot closer um, and brought a lot of diverse fans, you know, from young teeny boppers to grandmas and grandpas. Like, (laughs) you know, a couple of years ago, they, uh, the, 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 the trot, a trend um, that started in Korea brought all ages and demographics together into voting for their favorite Mm. contestant, right? So it's kind of like this natural evolution, I think, where um, with, you know, things that have worked have have survived in those like kind of uh, feature, uh, but new ideas and new kind of creative ways to develop this kind of programming and entertainment have been added. And then now it's even you know, it's not even local anymore. Now it's going global with a huge partnership with uh, Geffen. Um, so I think it's very, uh, it, it's, you know, it's it's in with the times, you know, this is exactly what I think uh, we would have expected. Mm-hmm. And um, and obviously the fans and the people that uh, have, a, have a voice in this, mm-hmm. they're very, uh, you know, they're very important to, mm-hmm. the audience is very important. So, okay, so reaching that audience, huge goal that they have. 
Maybe it's because you and I both have worked with and close to and in entertainment for so long that a little bit of skepticism grew in my heart because the format is absolutely nothing new. And I thought we had had enough survival competition shows. Also, if my memory serves me correctly, not too long ago, one of the major idol groups audition programs was tainted with this major vote fixing scandal. The producer literally served time. So how will the debut Dream Academy, that's the name of this audition program, remain competitive when we've seen the tired old format so many times before? So like I mentioned a little bit earlier, that the globalness of this um, iteration of the show will be a big factor. You know, the chairman of Hive, uh, Mr. Bang, literally said, like, quote, uh, the, the article, you know, that mm. uh, has been uh, going around is he says, I have always dreamt about nurturing a diverse pool of talents from different countries using K-pop methodology and making a global group in the K-pop style. So, I mean, there's that, first of all, like it's always been kind of like a Korean group with like maybe a member from Southeast Asia or member from Northeast Asia, member from North America, you know, one member kind of joining in to be a part of the group. But I think this is the if you and, and they debuted the top 20, right, the first 20 mm. contestants were from all over um, the world and yeah. from every different country. So that's like a big factor. I think also it's the first time it's partnering with a U.S. company. And so that's another big deal. There's a docu-series that's kind of bundled with this that will be on Netflix. You know, like it's like you can see the whole strategy kind of uh, from the early from the early development uh, was very well thought out. And there's a long you know timeline and, a, a, you know, a long uh, plan of what they're planning to do with it. Live events, social media, uh, you know, events voting. Right, right. Voting and. But now taking it instead of just on television, you know, like, for example, the uh, Produce 101 uh, was on television. And, Mm. you know, that was a way, you know, um, for fans to get involved. But now with they're going to all the major platforms, you know, there is not just on TV Mm. or one platform, Mm. but kind of really expanding and and, um, diversifying the way that fans can interact. So I think it'll be very interesting. Because that whole voting process, it's supposed to be impartial. It's supposed to allow a diverse group of people to make the process more transparent and fair, right? If you can reach a wider audience using these major social media platforms, that might be a better way to gauge who is the most popular. It can't be bulletproof, obviously. However, this seems to be an expanded approach to what had previously existed. And also, I just want to mention, the filmmaker attached to the debut Dream Academy, the uh, documentary series is actually best known for creating, um, becoming the documentary, following Michelle Obama on her book tour. So these are big names attached in many from many different angles. So as you can imagine, expectations also run pretty high. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't know. But um, yeah, that's the director that's attached. I mean, it's obvious that that's probably from, you know, the influence of having a, a strong partner such as Geffen. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, this is it is definitely beyond just the Korean peninsula entertainment kind mm. of, um, you know, uh, format. Mm. So definitely this is going to be interesting to, to watch and follow. OK, I mean, just to be clear, I mean, the audition process started last year. Right. And then they narrowed down to a group of a strong 20 and then votings will begin. And the documentary is scheduled to premiere sometime next year in 2024. So as you said, it's a pretty expansive, long project. The beauty of that is we clearly get attached to these stories. Um, and that's a powerful 
cool way to, I think, generate an authentic uh, fandom. Yeah. And, and, you know, the documentary, even though it'll be next year, the, they've already planned missions um, to reveal, mm. you know, kind of what's going to what's going on with it starting, you know, this month, you know, tomorrow, okay. September 2nd. Um, there will be uh, there'll be a reveal. So September 2nd, the dates that have been made public so far, September 23rd, October 21st. So they're not you won't have to wait until next year. The final episode um, uh, that they're planning to stream live will be on November 18th. Hmm. So from that point on, I think um, I mean, that's probably the documentary will cover all of this as well. But we don't have to wait until the documentary comes out. We'll be able to see. I'm sure it'll be all over socials. They're planning to uh, they've already announced that they're working with all uh, the, the five major social services like uh, YouTube, Instagram, X, TikTok, fa uh, Facebook. So and and, and Weverse, they're they're mm. um, they're all proprietary platforms. So it's going to be interesting that uh, you don't have to wait that long. It's going to be much more um, like in our faces. It's going to be much more uh, uh, like feel real in real time mm. and i think that's what's changed since maybe the early days of audition programs i mean remember and in, in the early early days of american idol because i know you and i both grew up on it i mean you were supposed to phone in your votes that's the yeah. old classic way to do things now you can vote real time see the reactions real time and gauge who's most popular along the way okay so these are all wonderful plans it's exciting to see k-pop evolve but of course on the flip side of that is we have to ask this rather difficult question what defines an inherently k-pop girl group you mentioned hive chairman pang shiok's interview right international group based on k-pop methodology so is k-pop defined by its rigorous training process is it the performance value music style what could what is it well, without sounding too like obvious like yes it does um and i think the most obvious part of what makes K-pop K-pop is is the Korean part, you know, the, <laughs> the whether the cultural elements of Korean culture that have become important or added to, you know, what makes a pop, you know, group precision, mm -hmm. uh, creativity, uh, this kind of uh, that kind of uh, factor is part of it, and it's it's not that it's those factors objectively by themselves, but because of the Korean way of being precise or creative and stuff like that. You know, it's interesting because I remember there was a time when critics might have argued K-pop groups need to have songs that are written in Korean. The lyrics need to be in Korean. And then came BTS and it changed the name of the game forever. And here's the thing. Just 10 years ago, we might have been having an entirely different conversation. So this is circa 2012. So it's an old article. One critic from the National Audiovisual Institute in France defined K-pop idol group as a fusion of synthesized music, sharp dance routine, and fashionable <laughs> outfits. Has the genre in the last 10 years evolved further? I think we still embrace some of that, but it's certainly changed. Oh, yeah. And also, you know, uh, fusion, synthesized music, sharp dance routines, and fashionable <laughs> outfits. Um, that's not unique enough to identify K-pop idol groups as, you know, I think they forgot to add that it's the Korean way of synthesized music or the Korean mm. version of sharp dancing, Korean style fashionable. I mean, you can't lose the Korean part of, of it and try to define it because then you open up yourself to, well, what about other versions of pop, other cultural versions or other genres mm. that have 
synthesized music, sharp dance routine, and fashionable outfits. Like that, that then obviously your argument goes debunked. So I think that the um, some people, some intellectuals might want to try to get too deep and try to, mm. you know, uh, too. Um, uh, Put K-pop in a box. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so I think the obvious way, you know, is just it is partly Korean. And what does it mean to be Korean, I think, is a bigger question. Mm. And I think that that is um, much more open to the evolution of Korean culture that we've seen, you know, mm -hmm. like how Korean culture in the 80s and the 90s and those effects or those changes are affecting how K-pop has evolved to Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3, mm. you know, stuff like that. You know, I think you raise a pretty important question. What does it mean to be a Korean has also evolved, right? I mean, we're a very multicultural um world now and we're exposed to just about any culture of our choice movies pop culture from different worlds and if for example the original creator based in korea creating k-pop music music video even commercials if they get influenced by anything they've seen in their lifetime from the outside world how do we draw that distinction this is inherently american this is inherently indian now the distinction becomes blurry so maybe it's not just about k-pop it's just that k-pop is so hot right now in the american music that we're having this conversation in the context of k-pop but insert different pop cultures Indian pop, for example, and we might be able to have yeah. a similar existential conversation too. Yeah, I mean, before K-pop, there was J-pop. Right. I mean, there's a huge kind of like a Mando pop, as they say. There's mm. there's movements uh, rising in Southeast Asia. Um, there's there's the influence of Latin music. Mm. So all these different things, I think, have uh, shown that there is an evolution mm. of how art and music and all these things kind of add and, and change uh, genres over time. Okay, at the end of the day, Isaac, it's about how well this show does too. So are you excited about it? Or what is your expectations for it? Yeah, I mean, you know, these days, because post COVID, you know, so many things have changed. I'm very excited about uh, these kind of uh, even the older ideas and formats as they come out post COVID, there will be a lot of changes. And um, I think that the it'll be visible how much entertainment has evolved hmm. and it will continue to evolve so i'm interested in simply even in just that like seeing how things have changed in the industry will be uh very fun to keep and keep tabs on you know, there was a point, I think, when I was covering K-pop more closely and I thought, oh, have we run out of just all the excellent ideas? I mean, there comes a point where you need to regroup, take a break and come up with a fresh new idea. And then came groups like New Jeans. And that was so unexpected for me. So I thought, OK, so we're on to something new. What's next is exciting, but I can't even envision what that looks like. Yeah, and I and I don't think the creators of the show, even uh, BTS or I mean even uh, Hybe or Geffen, they they can't envision or they can envision it, but they can't plan it perfectly. So I think um, they can bring the pieces together and then try to put it and, and like start the engine, right? Like and but where that's gonna go, nobody knows. And mm. so I think that that'll be partly uh, the the appeal as well as. The, definitely the uh, the entertaining entertainment factor. Hmm. Uh, what where's K-pop gonna go, and hmm. is it really gonna become uh, you know global and I you know mainstream as as uh, is a goal? Okay, uh, because I do have some time on the clock, I want to share what our listeners said. Uh, Sweet as Ma is saying, my question is, is K-pop moving to a more westernized music and style of dance to get more following, losing their identity at the same time of being? A Korean K-pop group thoughts, Isaac? No, we're just evolving. Oh, yeah, that, that's definitely. I mean, um, that's definitely possible. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, the concept of pop music itself, you know, the Korean folk music has changed so much, uh, or the, the, the music of Korea has changed so much because of the Western influence of pop. And then now it's kind of like um, hit a tipping point where the impacts of that have created this kind of burgeoning industry of Koreanized version of pop, which is going back into the West. Mm. So kind of there's a cyclical cycle, you know, there's like a cycle going. And, you know, it's not new having um, composers and songwriters from the West make a lot of the pop music of Korea. So mm. I think that um, as more and more audiences are attracted to K-pop, there's, there'll be a lot more visibility. But it's something that is um, has been going on, um, the Westernization of it, as well as you know, there is, the Eastern influence on Western pop, uh, Western pop will also be kind of a, it'll go hand in hand. And here's a rather clever ID, K-drama Soju with you. <laughs> Chiming in, there is definitely a Western influence. However, I feel K-groups have made it uniquely their own. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. And, and it's probably, they, they can make it their own without trying too hard because that's who they are. You mm. know, when... I think when an artist or when a group tries to be what they are not, I think that's when um, they'll trip up, they'll have problems, you know, they'll, the fans will obviously be able to smell that and they won't pass the smell test. So, um, <laughs> but definitely uh, they are individuals, they are uh, doing things that uh, the what they, they want to do. They are being influenced by Western as well as Eastern, as well as, you know, I mean, there are so many factors that influence culture mm. and that is, not just the artists, though, you know, like if you look at a label and the way that the label system works, mm -hmm. there's like hundreds of people that are working to create um, this like asset, uh, this this kind of cultural asset. Mm -hmm. And so it's the artist, but it's also the company and their kind of philosophy, the producers, the uh, composers, the, the, you know, even from down to like the managers and and the managers of the artists and what they eat that next, you know, the day before, you know, mm -hmm. there are. A uh, very famous story about um, an artist, a K-pop artist, his name was Seven, remember? And like yeah. the story of how he got his name was because there were seven pieces of uh, yellow radish on his, um, <laughs> when he was eating with, the, when he was eating with um, Mr. JYP and that's how they came up with the name. So, <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but you know, all, everything uh, that's part of their ecosystem and life will bring, uh, mm. will be an influence. And obviously uh, the globalization, the interconnectivity mm. between East and West is also going to have an impact. And that seven radish story definitely sticks. Imagine if there are five. Five just doesn't have the right uh, ring to it, does it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knows? Like, he was probably thinking, he could have been thinking of seven as like, you know, lucky seven for many, many months. But maybe use that as an excuse because it makes a nice story. Who mm. knows? I wasn't there. All right, Isaac. Thank you so much for today's coverage. Uh, so enjoyable, as always. We'll speak to you again soon. All right. Have a good one. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.